0: you're listening to the scott Beeson show i'm chris reed from reedlawalabama.com and newsmax contributor filling in for scott in studio we've got attorney john amari and mac mac mckinnon media darling extraordinaire and big dave who is everyone's favorite way beyond any of us so uh on the line we've got john ziegler um incredibly accomplished he's uh one of the top 100 most influential talkers by Talker Magazine. He's a staff columnist for Mediite, and he's done radio shows for many years. And if I had to give his entire resume, we'd be here all day. So I'm just going to bring John on the phone. Uh, John, how, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing all right. I'm having a little bit of difficulty hearing you, but uh, good to talk to you.
0: Well, we can actually hear you loud and clear, so I'll, t- I'll uh, talk right into the mic. The thing I wanted to talk to you about is because I often listen to you on the Glenn Beck show, and you always offer a very interesting perspective. And I know you've always been a Republican, a conservative Republican, that you never really strayed from the principles of the party. But you have you have some issues with the way that Trump has been leading the country. And I wanted to get your thoughts on whether or not Trump's like over-involvement with all these uh, these local races... Is that going to be good as far as winning the election in 2018, or do you think this is going to be a negative, and and why? Because you're very well thought, so I'd love to hear your perspective on that.
1: I appreciate the compliment. Um, I think we'll find out a lot tonight with the special election in the 12th District of Ohio, which is a Republican district that is threatening to go Democrat. Uh, if it, in fact, does go Democrat just a couple of days after the president <laughs> campaigned hard there, uh, then I think that we have our answer. Um, if, if that, in fact, happens, uh, we are headed for some level of a blue wave uh, in November. And part of the problem is <laughs> that there has never been, at least in my lifetime, a, uh, a, a Republican – who is more influential in a positive direction in a primary election for a Republican nomination for Congress or Senate, uh, and, and who is more detrimental to a Republican candidate in a general election. So that's kind of a double whammy in that every one of these Republicans who has a contested primary, uh, or even if they don't, they at least have to uh, kiss Donald Trump's ring. And, and sometimes in a very big way. And in doing that, they put themselves in a very vulnerable position once they have to face a general election. So I don't believe that Trump is as unpopular as some people do. I mean, his numbers are very solid as far as his base is concerned. And in some ways, they're strengthening. But is that base going to be enough to carry the day in, a, in an off-year election? Normally... Republicans have had a huge advantage in off-year elections because their base has been more enthusiastic than the Democratic base. Uh, I don't think you can claim that this year. I think the Democratic base is is as jazzed up as it can possibly be. So uh, I think that the conventional wisdom is usually wrong, but I think the conventional wisdom that the Democrats are poised to take the House is probably true. Uh, it It could be very, very close. Um, but I, I do think that Trump, uh, in all likelihood, is, is farming more than he's helping the Republican cause in November.
0: You know, the one thing I, I think may be the saving grace for the Republican Party, because in midterms election, just in general, usually the party in power loses seat. That's just historically true Republican-Democrat. And it's been the only time I can think recently where that was not a case is 2002, um, and then I guess— Yeah, 2002 was a big one, but that was right after 9-11. But I also see the Democrats just going so far left in so many different races. Now, there's a few of them. The ones they've even won, like, they've put some moderates up and actually ended up winning those, but you got uh, the New York and 14th race, and then the energy on the party is so far left. Like, they're talking about universal Medicare, and they're trying to say— You know, socialism's not so bad. We need to figure out how to frame it better. Right. And even my friend—I have a couple friends in D.C. who are up in the Democratic Party, and they've told me that they're not as confident as they're portraying themselves on TV because they're not really seeing those moderate, middle-of-the-road Democrats very motivated to come out during the election. So even if they get a good base support, if they turn off too many of sort of those blue-collar Democrats— it might not, they might not be able to take the House. And one of the Democrats I spoke with said the Senate, they would probably lose between two and four seats unless there's something changing. Now, do you see that potentially being a f- enough of a factor that the blue wave is kind of stunted this time? Because the Democrats just, they always find a way to snatch uh, defeat from the jaws of victory.
1: Oh, yeah, I think there's something to be said for that. I mean, I've always said that the one thing you can always rely on Democrats to do is to overplay their hand. and in response to Trump, they have gone a bit nuts. Uh, i'm not I'm not sure that uh, anybody nationalizes an election though, like Donald Trump. I will say that I have written fairly extensively at Mediaite about how Democrats have made a huge mistake uh, in allowing Nancy Pelosi, to maintain power in the Democratic caucus and to create the at least perception that she will be the Speaker of the House if the Democrats were to take back the House. I have a very good friend who's a Democratic congressman, and he says this is all they ever talk about. Uh, the, the reality is, uh, and, and this is my view, but I think Democrats in the House would agree with this, that if, if by magic Nancy Pelosi decided to put her party and her country ahead of her own self interest, and said, I will not be running for speaker regardless of what happens, or even better if she <laughs> announced her retirement like Paul Ryan has, that uh, I think Democrats would be a, a deadlock cinch to take the House. Uh, I think that she is single-handedly costing Democrats probably in the range of yeah. at least five to maybe 15 to 20 seats um, because of those, those districts that you just mentioned. So you really have, you know, both parties uh, putting themselves, much like in our last presidential election, mm-hmm. in the worst possible light. And uh, I-, I am not someone who believes that we're headed for a massive Democratic uh, victory. Uh, unless, again, uh, if Ohio tonight goes Democratic, then it's really hard to argue that the Democrats are not going to take the House, uh, at least by a couple of um, seats. Which, by the way, might actually be the worst scenario for them. I I believe that the worst scenario for Democrats is to take the house by like maybe 5 seats or less, uh not take the Senate and and have the perception and have their base have the perception that they have power and maybe even the ability to impeach Donald Trump but no actual ability to do that because they don't have enough seats. So um, so, you know, even by winning, the Democrats may end up losing
0: here. Actually, that's funny, because I was looking— I actually talked to a few people who said the exact same thing. One, Trump could run against the Democratic— because Trump does best when he has a boogeyman. And it's true for any politician, but you got that. And they don't have enough majority to really do anything, so it depresses the base. And then Trump's just saying, well, we couldn't do these things because the Democrats. We've got to reelect—we've got to get a different house. And you're right. 2020, you could sweep away with it now. Mac, I know you had a question you wanted to to ask about one of these topics. What was the Oh boy, I can't even remember what it was. I love John though. This is interesting. It is interesting. You know, he's got a very interesting perspective. I guess one thing John I would love to get your thoughts on is do you think the media is ever going to go back to maybe doing more calling balls and strikes or is it just always going to be this this partisan like, we're out to destroy this administration, or like Sean Hannity, who just basically worships Trump like a god and has this weird, like, he, he, Hannity, I've looked at the White House talking points and what Hannity has on his show, and I know this surprises you, but most of the time it's identical. Like, Hannity didn't even take the time to edit some of the words. It was so bad. So do you do you really, like... That's a great question. Th- there has to be something where we're going to go back and say all right, guys, can you can we just have more of the news? it's fine to get sort of a perspective. But, like, I'm a very conservative person, but I still want to get people from different political yeah. parties, even within the parties, bec- to come on the show because our listeners love it. It gives them a lot more interesting things to discuss. And that's why our show's doing well, because we don't just feed them talking points all day. Because if we did that, they could just go anywhere for it. So what are your thoughts, uh, John?
1: I'm not optimistic. Uh, in fact, I think it's actually going to get even worse. If, uh, if that's possible. And the reason is this, and this is an area where I, I'm, I am an expert because I've studied the media my whole life, and I've done a couple of documentary films on, on the media, including one called Media Malpractice, how Obama got elected, the people in Alabama might be familiar with it. We did a couple of screenings there several years ago when that movie came out. And what really happened here is that the business model for the, the media broke. With fragmentation, the explosion of the Internet, explosion of cable television and 500 or more television channels, uh, all of a sudden what media outlets used to be a license to print money, now we're struggling just to make ends meet. And when you're struggling to make ends meet, everything falls apart. New journalism can only exist in a vacuum where it doesn't have to worry about economics every day. And uh, unfortunately, what ends up happening is instead of broadcasting, so you, you know, in the old days of the, the three major networks, there used to be this thing called broadcasting. There's no broadcasting anymore. It's all narrow casting. Everyone is targeting their own tiny little sliver of a demographic. And the most profitable way to target a demographic is to find your own cult, because a cult is very motivated. They're, they're very passionate. They're not going to question anything. They're going to do whatever you want. And, and a small cult is far more economically valuable than a, than a larger group of people who are dispassionate. And so that's what talk radio has become. That's what Donald Trump really took advantage of this. He understood this. Yeah, and, and that's why talk radio flipped and became incredibly pro-Trump, because that's what they have to do to survive. And frankly, I think Trump is right when he says the news media needs him to be reelected because without him – and can, can you imagine if – he's never going to be removed barring some cataclysmic event because of the uh, politics involved. But can you imagine if he got replaced by Mike Pence? I mean the news media would, would have – it would be a, a catastrophic disaster for them from a content and ratings perspective Sure. because Mike Pence is boring as heck. regardless of your politics Uh, trump is the greatest thing that ever happened to them they want two things content and ratings and trump provides both and that's all it is about and so every media outlet has now chosen who it is that they want to appeal to and in this world that basically means are you pro-trump or you're anti-trump and 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 people keep forgetting that I don't know what the percentage it is, but it's damn near seventy or eighty percent of the public isn't even bothering with this on a daily basis. They're not paying attention. I miss so Larry King. Narrowcasters don't care about them.
0: <laughs> well, and that I wanted to say something, John. This is Johnny Amari. I'm I'm an attorney here in Birmingham. What you just said, I think, was right on the money. I mean, I've noticed that just in the uh, the blogs that I follow, the the now someone from the basement of their home can have a Periscope account with 10,000 people watching it, you know, every day. But uh, is there not a, is there is there never going to be a, a time where someone can appeal to that 70% you just mentioned?
1: I just, I'm, except for massive news events like, you know, 9-11 or something like that, most of the country is tuned out on a daily basis. So the economics of this make it, you know, CNN used to be like the, you know, as close to down the line as you could get, right? I mean, that, that was their, their whole brand. Now, maybe they, they were, I believe they were always liberally biased, but they were mostly, you know, in comparison to Fox or MSNBC, they were somewhere in the middle. But they've now realized that in, in order to survive, they have to be anti-Trump because that's where their audience is. No, no. So uh, and no. I still think CNN does some decent work, but in, by and large, uh, they're incredibly anti-Trump. Uh, and 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 it's also important to point out even CNN or <laughs> MSNBC or even Fox as large as their ratings are they're still narrow casting their audiences in the larger scheme of thing are minuscule yeah yeah
0: well, I, john we want to we're going to hold you over cuz i wanted to get uh ask you about your book the paternal book there's a lot of football fans in alabama and it was something we've talked about but it's a real interesting topic you wrote a book a few a little while back on the whole uh, Paterno-Sandusky scandal, and you have a very unique perspective. And as I've been reading and looking into it, it's very interesting to see what facts get covered and what don't. But I just love your like love the audience to sort of just hear in a nutshell um, what it is that you think on this issue and why.
1: Well, boy, we could talk for hours about this, because I've spent most of the last six years of my life investigating this story. And I got to tell you, and to be clear here, I have no dog in the hunt. I have no connection to Penn State, Joe Paterno, Jerry Sandusky. I went to Georgetown in D.C. I've done more than just a book. I have a whole website, and a movie out on YouTube. You can find everything you can find about this case is at www.framingpaterno.com. I am an anti-conspiracy theorist. I abhor conspiracy (laughs) theories. And while I have a very, very contrarian view about what happened here, it is not a conspiracy. It is actually very, very logical. And what the bottom line here is is that the media got every single bit of this story wrong. And the reason why they got it wrong is because everybody rushed to judgment against Joe Paterno and forgot about what the real story was. And that's whether or not Jerry Sandusky himself was ever actually guilty. I presume Jerry Sandusky was guilty as hell like everybody else did. But after six years of investigating this, having interviewed him for over six hours in prison twice, knowing more, literally, I literally know more about this case than Jerry Sandusky does. And he's the first person that will tell you this. Because Jerry Sandusky doesn't know anything about what happened to him. He's a a moron. He's a naive naif. Uh, and this was a perfect storm of perfect storms. And as insane as it sounds, the people who have not followed this. Jerry Sandusky was innocent. And it's not close. Anyone who looks at the facts of this, and many people have. There's been another book written about this by a guy named Mark Pendergrass, who's a very accomplished author. I've had very high-profile media people come to me and say, you're right about this, but I'm too afraid to write about it, because it is so overwhelmingly obvious that everyone has become invested in a myth, this is basically like santa claus you're trying to convince a bunch of five-year-olds that what they're invested in doesn't exist it never did there's no logic nor evidence to support it zero when there should be a mountain of it of it and it's the biggest travesty i've ever seen in my life and i know you're there in alabama and i've often said when talking about this case it it, had the exact same allegations been made against nick saban and one of his former assistants Alabama would have had the good sense to, to go say, go pound sand and come back when you find some damn evidence, and the media would have run away and hid, and nothing would have come of this. But in Penn State, they were all PC, politically correct. They, they were whistled they curled into the fetal position. They took the admission of guilt for things that never happened, and it created a perfect storm, and a domino effect that is continuing to this day where over $100 million has been paid out to a bunch of frauds. And I'm positive of this. It's not even close. Yet, as surprising as it is, but the media blew this from day one, and now they're invested in a total mess.
0: Well, it's just uh, I, I would encourage the audience to go and read some of the things that you've done here, and you, I really just kind of love the detective work or where there's a story and it's interesting whether like is the complete narrative that everyone assumes to be correct, correct. And I never tell people to view it my way you have to or someone else's, I always say, look, just look into yourself. It's very fascinating. And just come to any situation with the ability to say, all right, I know what my thoughts are because of everything I've heard, but I really want to be an informed person. And sometimes people may conclude uh, something different than you or something different than, than other people. But the whole point of this is our society has got to stop just assuming things without looking into them, and I think this goes to the greater point, like if we are so set in everything narrative that we think because it's the media or it's our side, we're just missing out on a lot of truth and I think that's also something I wanted you to just briefly discuss because we only have a few more moments but what do you do you, do you think that one of the reasons we have so much issues with civil discourse is because we no longer seem we want to find the truth. We want to find things that just confirm our bias.
1: Well, that's 100% accurate, and that's what happened in this case. I mean, People have to remember that everyone thought they knew what happened in this in two days based upon a 23-page grand jury report that we now know to be full of crap. <laughs> and, and yet and the media decided they knew exactly what happened when, frankly— I'm still discovering things six years later that are completely in contradiction to that original narrative about both Paterno and Sandusky. Uh, And so once people decide in this Twitter age, where we have this Twitter mob rush to judgment mentality, and everyone wants to feel good about themselves, everyone's virtue signaling instead of caring about the damn truth, tragedy and travesty and injustice is bound to happen. And this was the perfect storm of that situation. I don't think it's isolated, but it is the worst example that I've ever seen, and I do hope people will check it out. Just find it out for yourself. Just all I've ever asked is, look at the facts with an open mind, go to com, and I think you'll be con- pretty darn convinced. By the way, make sure you have about uh, three weeks of time, because that's how much content there is there. Well,
0: Well, anyway, l- just we just have one minute left, but John, could you just tell our listeners how they can find you and how they can follow you on Twitter? and read your columns just briefly and just so that th- those who really found this interesting can start reading your work
1: sure uh, i do a podcast at free speech com i've already told you about com. my twitter handle is zigmund with a z zigmund freud or just look up john ziegler on twitter you'll you'll find it uh, and uh, i'm also pretty active on facebook i'm easily easy to find and uh, if anyone ever has any questions about any of the work that i do i'm I'm almost uh, always willing and able to answer them via Twitter, Facebook, what have you. So uh, all I've ever asked is just take a look at what I've said with an open mind and decide for yourself.
0: Well, excellent, John. We really appreciate it. And we also are uh, going to podcast this out later, and we'll make sure that you get that uh, for your record. So you're listening to The Scott Beeson Show. Next, we're going to be up with Congressman J.D. Hayworth and former media personality, He's got a lot of interesting perspective on what's happening in the news today. You're listening to The Scott Beeson Show. We'll be right back.